Um, so I'm Sarah. Um, I'm the Connections Pastor and Operations Manager here at Awaken. So uh, I get to do all the stuff. Um, <laughs> for the last uh, few weeks, we've had um, the Becoming series. And um, so Pastor Michael has been sharing. So it's all around finding Jesus and one another. And in the Bible, there's like 60 one another's or something crazy. So when Michael said to me, which one do you want to preach on? I was like, give me the Hebrews one. Um, I love the idea of spurring one another on. Um, and if you've missed any of the messages, you can catch up on uh, YouTube uh, or on the podcast. Anywhere that you listen to a podcast, we put the messages up each week. And the Squadcast, so on a Monday, uh, Michael and I will sit down and we will unpack the message a little bit more. And we'll often throw in a few questions there, the sort of application that you can ask you know, of yourself or if you're in a squad or a small group, that you can do it that way. All right, so this morning we're looking at Hebrews and the argument that Jesus is better. And then what is our response to that? So I'm going to pray first because I think that's probably a really good way to start. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just show off this morning. I know, Holy Spirit, that you just love to show off Jesus. And Jesus, you're always revealing the Father. And I pray that would happen here this morning. Um, and I pray that we would just get a deeper appreciation of just the beauty of your word and the beauty of who you are, Jesus. Amen. All right, so <laughs> this message, I could have just, I think I could have just got up here and read the entire book of Hebrews this morning, and like we all would have left richer for it. Um, I have been kind of, oh, I started, you know, I've heard lots of messages on, you know, spur one another on before and stuff, but once I started to really get into it, I was like, oh man, there's so much depth here that we actually miss out on. Uh, so this morning, we're going to have a bit of a Bible study. Sorry. So uh, for those that have done narrative theology with me at Awaken You, you'll kind of know <laughs> where we're headed, potentially. Um, and who knows that we can read Scripture and Holy Spirit will just speak to us, but then sometimes we get to go a little bit deeper, and there is this rich tapestry that God has created from start to the end with Scripture, and we get to sort of dig into that a little bit today. It's this beautiful, you know, story of um, reconciliation and redemption. So I just love God. <laughs> so the passage in Hebrews 10, 29, uh, 19 to 25, um, as Chantal read it, you probably went, man, what does half of that mean? That's kind of some weird language going on in there. So the um, author of, so this is basically, it's a microcosm of the entire book. So we've got this little snippet and it's kind of summing up the whole book. The author of he, um, Hebrews is calling the hearer, hearers and the readers to faithfulness, to know beyond a shadow of the doubt that Jesus is better. N.T. Wright, who is a New um, Testament theologian, he says, it clearly emphasizes what we might call the ultimate sea of Jesus. He is the prophet through whom God declared his final word. He is the priest who accomplished a perfect work of purification. He is the king who sits enthroned beside the majesty of God. Um, so the book of Hebrews, if you're not overly familiar with it, we don't know who wrote it. Um, initially, some people thought that maybe Paul wrote it. Uh, he didn't. It's the same music, but it's a different instrument that it's been played on. Um, there were some other suggestions, such as Barnabas and Apollos. Um, and there's been a strong case made for Priscilla as being the author of Hebrews. Um, the postscript is not there in the book of Hebrews, which is really bizarre. Um, but that kind of makes sense if they were, it looks like it's an intentional blackout rather than a collective memory loss as to who um, wrote the letter. Um, but whoever it was, they were a passionate Greek-speaking Jew with excellent knowledge of the scriptures. Um, and I heard one author say once, he said, uh, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, she was brilliant. Uh, but we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. So I'll try and kind of keep it gender neutral as we go. 
Um, and Hebrews was likely written between um, 65 AD and 70 AD, so in that period between um, the Apostle Paul passing away um, and the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. So you kind of got a rough idea of where it falls in. Um, so the writer, as I said, that they were, um, so they were a Christian Jew. They referred to the Old Testament over 100 times in this book. Um, so they knew the audience who they were speaking to. Um, so this book was written primarily for Christians who were beginning to waver in their faith. You know, they come out of the Jewish tradition, um, and there was a lot of pressure on them to go back. They were starting to be persecuted, um, and there was more persecution to come. Uh, and so there was actually some protection if they were to return to being just Jewish. In Hebrews 13, the writer warns the Hebrews not to be carried away by strange teachings. The author of Hebrews is addressing, like the other New Testament letters, a very real issue that's at their point in time. Uh, for the Hebrews, as well as being tempted to return to Judaism, they were being swayed by some local teachings that weren't really spot on. Um, so the author is encouraging them in a forceful way to remain faithful to Jesus. Jesus is better than anything they could return to or anything they could turn to. All right, so I see it's a bit of a Bible study. Sorry, a bit of background. Uh, so in 1946, some of you will um, have, you know, understand. So they found um, some writings in some caves in Qumran. We call these the Dead Sea Scrolls. And amongst all of this, there was loads of fragments of, of Scripture and also some other writings we call the Second Temple Writings. Um, and some of these writings have the teachings in them that the writer of Hebrews was speaking out against. Um, so it's cool. We kind of have a little bit more of the, you know, when we read these letters, there's a bit of you know, one-sided phone conversation, but we have a bit of an idea of what was going on behind it. Um, so we're going to take a quick tour through some of these arguments that the writer of Hebrews was making in defense that Jesus is better. So for these Jewish Christians, they were still wrestling with the implications of Jesus resisting the system, insisting that the old system was over, that something new was coming. Jesus was killed and rose three days later, vindicated. This event didn't just impact a small community of believers, but all of humanity. So it's a lot for them to deal with. So at the start of Hebrews, an argument is made that Jesus is better than angels. And for us, this might seem kind of obvious because, you know, Jesus is God. We've got to remember that we've got all of Scripture. We've read it. You know, we, we've, we've read the arguments. We get it. Um, but some of the writings from the Dead Sea Scrolls um, include writings about angels. The Jewish community is often held angels up as powerful, glorious creatures who brought divine revelation to humans. And we've got loads of examples of that in our Bibles. The excessive honor for uh, angels was a problem in the Christian communities, and Colossians even warns about the worship of angels. So the author of Hebrews states that Jesus is God's supreme source of divine revelation above angels. Jesus alone is God's son. He rules over the angels, and Jesus will share his glory, of course, not with angels, but with us. So there was a really quick, the Hebrew um, author did not muck around in getting that one sorted. And Jesus is better than Moses. See, it's kind of a flyby. I'm just trying to create the foundation. Uh, so Moses built, the, um, so it says in Hebrews 3, but Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house that has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Um, so Moses was great, but Jesus was better. Moses built the tabernacle, which was a tent that would house the presence of God when they were in the wilderness. As God's royal son, Jesus rules over the temple now, and that is us, the church, the body. In Hebrews 10, 1, it says, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. 
The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. They were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who come to worship. And Jesus is the priest and the sacrifice. And that kind of messes with my head when you think about that, being the priest and the sacrifice. That doesn't work. Um, uh, in Genesis 14, there is this little description of this priest that Abraham runs into called Melchizedek. It's a very vague kind of little description. Um, Moses, uh, Abraham runs into him. Um, he, Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Abraham gives him a tenth of all his plunder, and they kind of go on their separate ways. Um, but the writer of Hebrews comes back to Melchizedek. And when you read it, like, well, why? This doesn't make much sense. Um, but actually, it was really important. So the Dead Sea Scrolls that I mentioned, um, there are some writings about Melchizedek. And he is depicted as a heavenly Messiah-like figure who would appear in the last days to offer final atoning sacrifices and to usher in the kingdom of God. So that teaching would have been con- creating some confusion for these Jewish Christians But actually, they're not waiting for a Melchizedek to show up. Jesus has already shown up. Um, And Jesus, you know, the old way could never bring atonement once and for all. They keep having to repeat their sacrifices year after year. But Jesus came and he did it once and for all. It is done. So the change in priesthood also meant a change in covenant. Jesus inaugurated a new covenant. We now have a new way of relating to God and the Holy Spirit. Bruxy Cavey says that Jesus ushered in a new era of love rather than law as our guiding principle. He also says a new covenant, a new way of being in relationship together, knowing and being known. And we use that language here about being known, uh, knowing and being known. Forgiveness and forgetfulness working together to put sin behind us and give us all a fresh start. What good news. Yeah. So Jeremiah 31, 31 says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. So the writer of Hebrews um, quotes this passage um, from Jeremiah in length, and he's, the writer is trying to remind them, it is done, there is a new covenant. Don't go back to the old way. And this undoing had immense implications for these Christians. But this new covenant cannot fail as it's based on better promises. The old covenant, if the old covenant had been without fault, it wouldn't need to have been replaced. Hebrews 8, 1 to 2, it says, Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. Dr. Constantine Campbell says, One of the contrasts that the author of the letter of Hebrews uh, makes about Jesus' sacrifice for sin and the sacrificial system in the Old Testament is that in the sacrificial system in the the Old Testament, the priest's work was never fully done. The priest had to keep offering again and again sacrifices for sin. And the point the author makes is that the work was not fully complete, uh, sorry, the work does not fully complete what is needed to deal with sin, but Jesus' work fully completes it. In fact, Jesus is the great high priest. Once he has sacrificed himself for sin, he sits down at God's right hand, whereas the priests of old remained standing on their feet because there was work to be done yet. But Jesus sits down. The author of Hebrews interprets that as saying the work is complete. Sin is fully dealt with. It's done. Like, is that not good news? Come on. So. That, so really, we've actually just dealt, we just dealt with the first word in the passage. So when Chantal got up to preach, she said, therefore, we've just kind of mostly just covered the therefore. <laughs> it's 141 words to go. Um, 
So whilst that gives us a bit of a context for the letter, and it's really hard because I was like, when I was you know thinking about this message during the week and stuff, it's like it's like the scaffolding that we need to build to understand it all. But it kind of all needs to go up at once. But you're trying to put up just a side here and a side there, and you know it all is so richly interlocked. It's it's tricky stuff. But so we might not be both distracted by angels and dead men, but what has distracted us in the 21st century? It's 21st century Christians believing in that Jesus is better. Um, and Michael has covered this time and time again, if you've been here for any time, um, certainly lately. So secularism, and I'm going to quote Michael because I asked him during the week, I was like, what's your definition of secularism? And he says, it is wanting the kingdom of heaven without a king, paradise without the presence of the king, seeking what appears right in our own eyes. Jesus is better than that. He is better than moralistic, therapeutic deism. I had to write that one down. I couldn't just put MTD because it's a big one. So to be good, to be happy, to keep God at arm's length, unless you need his help, to treat God as a divine butler and a cosmic counselor. But Jesus is better than that. And individualism, which of course is synonymous with autonomy, and autonomy is such a tricky word, right back to the fall in the Garden of Eden, wanting our own way. We want to be lords of our own lives. But actually, Jesus is better. Because of all that he has done, because he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, he is better. So Michael's covered all of this in recent messages. So it's an issue of lordship. It's not faith in ourselves. It's not about self-sufficiency. It's not about what we bring to the table. We're distracted by a deception of self, and we get stuck in games of comparison and insecurity. We pull down others to make ourselves feel good. But my confidence is not in me. It's in Jesus, because Jesus is better. When I want to be in control, Jesus is better. When I'm worried about financial security, Jesus is better. When I want to isolate, Jesus is better. You get in the picture here? When I want to appear successful, Jesus is better. When I want to numb pain, Jesus is better. When I want to live just safe enough to get into heaven, (laughs) Jesus is better. Ronald Rollheiser, he has a book called Sacred Fire, and it's an incredible book. And I think I, it's, it's one of those books that I'm going to highlight over highlights over highlights as, as the years go past. But he says, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. So to remind us of our passage today, um, and I'm reading this from the New Living Translation Chantal shared from the NIV. Um, and it says, and so, of course, we used therefore before. Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain of the most holy place. Um, So when the Israelites were out in the wilderness um, in the exodus out of Egypt, um, the tabernacle, as I said before, this tent that was built to house the presence of God. Um, There's loads of chapters in the Old Testament about it. That's usually where everyone falls off their annual reading through the Bible (laughs) when they get to the tabernacle. Um, But it was built internally with this image of creation. It was supposed to remind us of Eden, that place where heaven meets earth. And that was what would happen in the Holy of Holies where God's presence was. Heaven is meeting earth. Um, And so it was the most sacred place, the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place where God's presence rested. And only the high priest could enter that room once a year on the Day of Atonement. Um, And there was a thick curtain, uh, so it was known as the Veil. And we, we've heard, you know, because of Jesus, this, we can pass through. Uh, so it was a thick curtain. It was like 10 centimeters thick, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide. Like it was huge. Um, and this curtain was to divide, you know, a holy God 
from sinful man and ensured that no one accidentally ended up in there. I've heard stories of priests that they would tie a rope around themselves so that, you know, if they went in and they were killed by the glory of God, their bodies could be dragged back out. When they would go in, they'd put in special clothing. They'd bring in burning incense so that their eyes would not accidentally, you know, you're not seeing God's glory. Um, and they would bring in the blood of a lamb to atone for sin. Obviously, this morning we talked, we sung about the lamb, um, and that's whole other <laughs> imagery for another day. Uh, so Hebrews nine seven says, "But only the high, high priest, sorry, but only the high priest ever entered the most holy place, and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and the sins of the people, the people had committed in ignorance." So when Jesus died, Matthew 27 tells us that that veil, that curtain that separated where sinful man would be and where God would be, that that was torn from top to bottom. And this is a massive curtain, like I said, like just the sheer scale of it. God tore that curtain from top to bottom. And so that we, just as Jesus' body was broken, we are no longer separated from God's presence. Um, Hebrews 6, 19 to 20 says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. Because Jesus is better, we are now moved to action. Um, And so the author now moves into four let us statements. And I love that we've just had this whole like, brag on Jesus, love God. And now we get to move into, um, yeah, let us, what we get to do corporately as God's people. Uh, So it says in this passage, it says, And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. We have confidence when we trust him that we get to walk boldly in. We get to draw near. I love this morning this idea that praise, when we draw near, we get saturated. Um, and I think about, you know, Jesus being the living water, and it's, this is his character. And it's when we draw near and we come close, we get near his character, uh, and we are impacted by that. So drawing near is to come and to worship. And, of course, our worship is primarily vertical, of what should be vertical. Um, and Michael's been talking about the trellis these last few weeks. Um, and because of Jesus, we've been granted access to the very place where God dwells. It's not just a copy. It's for real. We come into God's presence because of the final sacrifice of Jesus. We boldly come in with Jesus as Lord. Our allegiance is to Jesus, and we're not coming in lightly, but we understand the privilege, but our sins are forgiven. Um, I know for me, early in my Christian walk, I was really, um, uh, I remember mucking up, and just that whole idea, like, I can't come back until I sort myself out, until I read my Bible more, and I'm not even sure I'm allowed to pray. I was like, no, 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 no. He just wants us. He doesn't want us to stay away. Martin Lloyd-Jones explains, he said, It is only when I am near to God in Christ that I know my sins are forgiven. I feel his love. I know that I am his child, and I enjoy the priceless blessings of peace with God and peace within and peace with others. I'm aware of his love, and I'm given joy that the world can neither give nor take away. Um, If you ever visit my house uh, and you see that doors are closed, 100% there's a mess behind that door. (laughs) That's how it is. Uh, Uh, If you live in my house, you'll know the truth. Uh, And if you're a close friend, you'll know the truth too. I don't worry so much about closing doors because I know that those that love me are not, they might judge the mess, but they're still going to love me through the mess. 
So here's a question. Is Jesus just a casual guest that you clean up for before he comes on Sundays? Or is he a resident in your home? Are you confident that he loves you despite what's on the other side of that door? Hebrew tells us that you don't have to have all confidence in your relationship with Jesus. Um, He's done it. We've got confidence in him alone. And so to an extent, our worship isn't just vertical. As the following verses are about to share in um, this passage, worship is also to be community orientated. Just me and Jesus doesn't always fly when it comes to worship. So often I'm very aware when we come on a Sunday morning, there are people in this room who are weary, who are hurt, who are anxious, who are grieving and who are doubting. When we come together corporately, we can lift one another up. And that's sometimes some of my favorite parts of worship when I know that I can be praying over and singing over someone in a congregation that I know is having a hard time. William Lane, in reflecting on Hebrews, he says, the neglect of worship and fellowship was symptomatic of a catastrophic failure to appreciate the significance of Christ's priestly ministry and the access to God it provided. So letting us to draw near leaves no room for moralistic, therapeutic deism, secularism, or individualism. This is not an individual pursuit. So the second, let us. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And so because all of this, Jesus is better. Because he's opened the way to the most holy place, as it said in verse 23, we can hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. Let us. This is corporate. Holding on to hope is corporate. Holding fast is actually a nautical term, so sailing a straight course so that we don't shipwreck, without wavering because Jesus is faithful. And this hope is not just the act of hoping. Because Jesus is the content of hope, we can actually hope with confidence. This is not just a face that, you know, a mask that we're putting on on a Sunday morning when we come to church. All right, for Jesus is trustworthy. Uh, The third, let us, and let us consider how we may spur one another on into love and good deeds. Now, if you've ever heard this passage preached, this is the verse where they all seem to circle around. So the goal of spiritual maturity is love. So let us spur one another on to Christian spiritual maturity. Um, The word consider implies an intentionality, paying attention to one another, slowing down, getting the attention off yourself and onto others. This isn't just a call for pastors. This is a call for all of us. Um, I've heard it. You've probably heard it before. Someone will say, oh, the church didn't visit me. Who's heard that before? Yeah? <laughs> um, can, you know, just a reminder, we are corporately the church. This is not just, not just Michael and Ellie. Uh, we are corporately the church, all of us. Um, and I've been so proud of our church watching how many meals have been going out the last couple of months with um, you know, Nico's broken leg and um, Polly and Nick's twins and Jim, yeah, Bev, Bev last week there was meals. And just amazing watching all these meals going out as the church is considering one another and looking after one another's needs. Uh, and even on Friday when, I see, I'm not on Facebook really at the moment, and like I start getting all these messages after I injured my arm, and <laughs> I didn't know Ian had put a call out on Facebook for help for me, um, and I had so many messages, it was just amazing. Um, of course, I couldn't reply to them because I was driving myself to the hospital with one arm, but, <laughs> um, but it was just really amazing having so many people just checking up and wanting to know what the, you know, it's not broken. Thank you, Jesus. So about being concerned with others, Richard Phillips says, if we're not doing this, then we are nothing more than takers, consumers of religion who are of little use to the eternal destiny of other people. 
yeah, ouch, right? <laughs> Let's not be takers and just consumers of religion. Because Jesus is better. So to spur on, to stir up, to provoke, to sharpen, to motivate. That's really strong language that the writer of Hebrews is using. Um, when this word, the spur on word, when it was used in um, Acts, it was actually um, Acts 15. There was a sharp disagreement happening at the time. But let's not provoke to anger. Let's provoke to love. Um, it's not permission to be a jerk calling people out. Um, I know I've had people, yeah, just, just telling them truth and love. Often that's not the case. This is not about uh, who you can provoke. This is about who you're letting provoke you. Um, the, the purpose of spurs, if anyone's done horse riding in the past, the purpose of spurs to spur on is not actually really so much to hurt the horse. Um, you know, your bridle, your whips, your spurs, um, your, your legs, they're all actually to apply pressure to the horse. And, and if you've got a good horse, uh, just a little pressure on the reins or, or, or your legs, they're going to go where you want them to go. Spurs are usually only used for stubborn <laughs> horses. Um, I had a really arrogant horse once that was just totally stubborn, numb in the mouth. We'd have to kind of haul him around a little bit. He didn't trust me. Um, would want to go his own way. Uh, and then <laughs> once he nearly took me off a cliff, uh, and another time he left me in a paddock, um, quite injured, had to call myself an ambulance. <laughs> Um, he was quite arrogant. Uh, it took a lot to spur him on, uh, but he just didn't, re- you know, didn't respect me. Um, and 17 hands is a long way to fall off a horse. But like horses, we can struggle to respond to being spurred on. Old habits and bad beliefs can die hard. Um, I think that maybe the more trust we have in Jesus, the lower we go, the more humility we have, the less violent that prodding probably needs to be. Who is Lord of your life? Who is Lord of my life? Have you given permission for others to speak into your life, to guide you and to provoke you, to spur you on, to call you up even when it's uncomfortable? This week I've been called out, called up, inspired, encouraged and challenged, maybe mocked a little bit too from friends. Um, I'm grateful for that. (laughs) And it's not just for your pastors to be concerned about your spiritual growth. Are you concerned about your own spiritual growth? Are you concerned about the spiritual growth of others in our body? It's not just Michael's job to spur you on each Sunday morning for half an hour and then you go on with your week. It takes community. Um, I heard a statistic the other day that in America, 40% of people only have zero to one confidence. I think that's huge. Are there people that you can confide in? Um, Are there people that you are letting into your world? We can't have genuine relationships until we're honest and vulnerable. Do you have people around you that can jab you and wake you up? When we're provoked, we're allowing someone to name that which we have tried to hide. Our ego, our flesh, our old self will want to fight against that. Has anyone ever felt that? Like when someone's poked you, you've been provoked and you want to go in the other direction? Hide under it. Yeah, been there. (laughs) Sometimes we just try to avoid. Um, Robert Mulholland in this book called The Invitation um, to a Journey. Maybe a trigger warning. This quote's kind of gross. He says, we find in our hearts a thousand things which we would have sworn were not there. God only shows them to us as he makes them appear. It is like an abscess that bursts. The moment when it bursts is the only one which horrifies us. Before that, we were carrying it without feeling it, and we did not think we had it. When it was hidden, we thought that we were healthy, and quite as we should be. When it breaks, we smell the stench of pus. The breaking is healthy, although it is painful and disgusting. Each of us carries in the depths of his heart a mess of filth, which would, which would make us die of shame if God should show us all of its poison and horror. 
So it's totally a disgusting image. But if you take nothing else away today, <laughs> uh, you, we need to know that we need people that will provoke us, provoke the bursting of the abscesses in our lives. If you want to be transformed, you need to get around people who are being transformed. Uh, for me, during the week, I play netball and I do circuit training a couple of times a week, clearly you can tell. Uh, but I get around these people because they are what I'm not. And I want to be around people that are passionate about fitness. So I'm doing that. I'm showing up six o'clock, two mornings a week. I show up, Doreen's there smiling. I don't know how she does it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and you know, really when you're exercising, you're provoking your muscles too. You know, we're going to become stronger because of it. Um, and, you know, these people, you know, I show up, they encourage me, they call me on. Um, yeah, we're getting stronger because of it. And who knows um, that you don't get fit without being intentional and showing up. And it's the same with your spiritual growth. You are not going to become spiritually mature if you're not showing up, if you're not drawing near. And it's the same, yeah, here at church. And so for me, I love getting around people that I see represent Jesus in ways that I'm lacking. Um, And I think, man, I want to be like these people when I grow up. And I wrote a list the other night. It's not exhaustive, but this was the list I was thinking about the other night. So Doreen, who's out doing 10Ks at the moment with Around the Bays, she has this amazing, slow-burning wisdom. I always leave Doreen, and I'm always like, oh, crap, she was right again. Like, she just gets me every time. Annette, she has such peace in the hustle. Marianne, um, just strength and adversity. Michael, your commitment to disruption after all these years. You've got the nice auditorium. You're still disrupting everything. Um, Ellie, her passionate worship. Chantel, your consideration for the vulnerable. I love that. I want that. Um, Anna Mary, who I think are away, their model of mature Christian marriage. Be of your determination for joy and Jim, your faithful servanthood. Lynn and Dean, living a life of inconvenience to protect those that don't have family. David, you're surrendering your preferences for the next generation. Janelle, who's not here as well, she's probably doing around the bays. I know she's mental. She's doing like an insane number of half marathons this year. She never gives up. <laughs> uh, and Karen and Haynes, you guys received the strangers. Um, And that's not exhaustive, but I'm like, there are so many here who have Jesus and share him in ways that I don't have, and I want to be around you guys to catch it. Growing in spiritual maturity requires role models. So who are you imitating, and who is imitating you? Are you living a life that people, you want people to role model off you? And the final, let us. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. Uh, This isn't just a suggestion, but it's a command. We can't provoke one another if we're pulling away. Um, The verb for abandoning or neglecting here, it denotes a covenantal faithlessness, forsaking God and his character and his purposes. Um, Hyrule Jones says, to be needlessly absent is to deprive oneself both of being helped and of helping others, but more seriously of drifting in the direction of danger. John Wesley says there is nothing more in Christian than a solitary Christian. So we will never mature past meeting together. We need to be with one another. And it's not about attending church. It's about being in the church. We don't say I attend awaken. We say I am awaken. Um, You can't isolate from God's people without your relationship to God being affected too. If we isolate from the body, we will ultimately be isolating ourselves from the head as well. And Jesus is the head. There is no negotiation here. The Bible's pretty clear. 
I love the illustration of coal being removed from a fireplace and placed on the hearth. A lot of you will know the illustration. You take a coal from the fireplace, you place it on the hearth, eventually it's going to get cold. But if you return that coal back into the fire, it will come ablaze again. And that's why we need to be around one another. So, this one, I just want to, I'm just trying to get through this so we can get back to worship, because <laughs> I want to get back to that. <laughs> uh, so this morning, because Jesus is better, we get to worship soon, uh, let us draw near, let us hold tight, let us motivate one another, and let us not neglect meeting together. Love God, love people. This is the vertical and the horizontal parts of the same trellis, and on this fruit will grow. So don't neglect being in community, regardless of the community size, whether it's here in church on Sundays, it's in a small group, it's in a squad. Just get yourself around people that will help form your spiritual maturity. Um, and obviously the monthly all-ins tonight's Young Adults. Thursday we've got the women's. Um, these are great opportunities for you to meet others and build a squad. Find some people. I know it's a little bit like dating because you don't know who's in a squad and who's not in a squad. Um, and, you know, is the person you're going to join in with the squad, are they going to be okay? Just, just do it. <laughs> Just be bold. Make the ask. Um, so meeting together is not the goal. It's a means to the end. Drawing near is the goal. And Michael shared how the trellis isn't the goal, but abiding is the goal. Spiritual formation must move us towards love. Um, I guess, Ben, you guys can probably come back. We're just about to uh, move into communion. I hope that's helpful. <laughs> Man, and a bit of a Bible. You'll be grateful I removed so many pages of Bible, uh, like <laughs> Old Testament stuff out of this, because I was like, I don't know how to build this scaffolding. Um, but at the end of um, Hebrews, it has this little bit in the, in the summing up, where it says, Now may the God of peace who brought you up from the dead is the Lord, uh, sorry, now may the God of peace who brought you up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. I love that. It's all things that are pleasing to him, not pleasing to me and my comfort and my desires. Uh, so this morning as we come into communion, what I love about communion is when you know, we talk about the Old Testament and the old sacrificial system, they had to keep coming and coming and coming and offering sacrifice after sacrifice. And every time that would happen, you were being reminded of your sin. We get to come and take communion because of what Jesus has done. We get to come and take communion every week, and we're reminded of his grace. Um, I think that's just such a beautiful thing and a beautiful privilege. So this morning, just as we're about to come into worship um, and communion, just let this be a time for you to respond to Jesus and all that he has done. Um, so, Father, I just thank you that, um, thank you for Jesus, that he is better than anything else in our lives, that he is better than anything we can be distracted by. Uh, thank you, Jesus, that you tore open the veil, that your body was broken, that we may come and enter boldly into God's presence, that we get to come and commune with you and, and not come to reflect on how bad we are and how rotten we are, but actually, Jesus, what you have done. And thank you for that. You are good. Amen. <laughs>